0: Welcome to Fleet News Group podcast, where we talk about all things fleet and particularly about the shift to lower emissions. I'm Caroline Falls, and today I'm talking with Lex Forsyth, CEO of Janus Electric, an Australian startup that converts diesel engine prime movers to battery electric. I met Lex at the Brisbane truck show earlier this year, and his stand was always crowded. So, welcome, Lex.
1: Thanks, Carolyn. Appreciate having us on.
0: I have so many questions for you. Like it is so interesting what you're doing, but um, you know, for the benefit of our audience, let's get you to talk about Janus Electric. When it was founded, how is it financed, and what sort of trucks you can convert
1: yeah so um Genis was started back in twenty twenty um, my co founder and myself came together with a with a bit of an idea on um, electric trucks and um, thought the future of future of transport and trucking uh, was battery electric we We couldn't make hydrogen stack up um, when we did the numbers and then we thought well let's give this a go and take a an old prime mover, um, which was ten years old at the time. And uh we, we decided to give give the first one a go and and uh, get a rolling prototype. It took us about three months to get a rolling prototype and we had some really great uh engineers and people that have come along on the journey. We've now got a team of forty four people uh working in the business um here and uh orders for about hundred and close to hundred and forty five or hundred and fifty trucks now Australia wide. Um and it's been a, it's been a um a ride um, as we've come along in the in the period, so you know the first two and a half years it took us to build the first five trucks, and in the last five months we've um, subsequently built another eleven so we've been um, we've been moving along really quickly at the factory. I think we've got trucks seventeen and eighteen coming through the factory at the moment
0: so you've been busy and um that preempted my next question, like how many trucks but from a video from the truck show in Brisbane earlier this year. I see that you um, have converted trucks to electric for companies like Cement Australia, CHL, and um, so you've sort of said how many you've done to date, but how many are in your pipeline? And just another question, like, what motivates your customers to get the conversion done?
1: Look, I think it's a, there's a number of, you know, there's always a push to zero emissions and, and doing something better, but there's also an economical... Uh, the economics of it come into play, and it and it makes sense to convert an old vehicle from uh, diesel to electric. Obviously, with the maintenance savings and energy cost savings, um, is their biggest uh, biggest focus. On uh, biggest focus is how do we how do we get sustainability that is economically viable? Because one of the things we've got to be mindful of um, as a as a society, it's great to be a hundred percent renewable and sustainable, but if it's not. Economically viable, and it's going to cost us more to do it. You've got to really weigh those weigh those things up, and that's why we we've, we've sort of looked at the hydrogen thing. Can't make the numbers work, and you know our, our customers are telling us the same thing. They they can't see how they make certain zero emission uh, vehicles work. So we we focus on how do we make the environment the beneficial byproduct of what we do. Um, how do we make it make it the the, you know, it it it, it is just it, it's just what happens by what we do in our business, and that's sort of the way we've focused the business as we've built it. Um, we 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 um, you know I, I come from a trucking background, and diesel trucks have been in my life since I was a kid. Um, and I come from the transport industry. Bevan comes from the alternative energy industry, and was um, built one of Australia's largest biodiesel plants. So. And I was his uh, largest customer about 15 years ago in Brisbane when I had a container business, and it, it you know we we've talked about it and you know a, a lot of where um, transport companies suffer at the moment is the lack of margin in their business. So if you can give them something that is cost compelling, where the environmental factor is the by, the 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 byproduct um, from from them making the change, it, it it's a natural progression for them to change.
0: Yeah, I I was curious, like reading through the Janus Electric website and other materials while researching for this talk with you today, how Mm. big a market there is potentially for converting diesel trucks to electric, like on your model. So like I read that the prime movers that you would convert are ideally under 10 years old as they've got the electronics and also that the cost of fitting an electric powertrain is comparable to fitting a new diesel engine. So how many trucks in Australia qualify? Like how many under 10-year-old trucks get fitted with new diesel engines?
1: Yeah, so if you look at Australia, um, there's about 115,000 Class A prime movers registered in Australia at the moment. Of that, um, about 68% of that is less than 10 years old, so in excess of more than half. The the way the fleets are looking at this, looking at it when the vehicles are due for a diesel engine rebuild, most diesel engine rebuilds take about three weeks to do in a truck and somewhere in the vicinity of about $100,000, well, between eighty to $100,000 to do the full engine rebuild, um, particularly if you take in account all the auxiliary services such as fuel pumps, water pumps, turbos, all of those sorts of things that are on a diesel engine. Um, when they do a conversion with us, all that is replaced new, and they also get a new gearbox that goes with the with the conversion. Um, that's a cost of $175,000 on average to do the to do the conversion for a for a, a line hall metropolitan truck. Um, of that, they get about $25,000 back for the gear that comes out of the truck. So the everything that gets installed when it's when it's parted out um, normally gives them a return of about $25,000. So it's, it's slightly dearer to do the conversion than it is to rebuild a diesel engine. But the big cost savings are obviously in energy and uh, maintenance costs because you remove a whole uh, schedule of servicing um, out from the vehicle. You remove a whole B service because there's no oil filters or fuel filters or air cleaners to change on electric motor as you do with a diesel motor. So typically that, that's saving the fleet operator somewhere between $1,500 to $2,000 of service. Um, that is over and above. And then you've also got all your brake life um, extension and those sorts of things as well with um, the regenerative braking that you get with an electric vehicle that you can utilise the whole time.
0: So the battery that you're putting in or the powertrain that you're putting in fits into where the diesel tanks were? Is
1: Yeah, so the the conversion module goes directly in where the diesel engine is. So that's where the electric motor and drivetrain Uh, the electric motor and gearbox goes basically straight into where the diesel engine comes out of. And then the batteries that we have as a swappable battery go in where the fuel tanks on the, um, where the fuel tanks were on the, um, on the diesel prime. mover.
0: Yeah. I love that swappable battery thing. And I've got a few more questions about that later, but uh, I mentioned um, meeting you at the Brisbane truck show where your stand was very popular Can you Mm. tell me about the reception you got? Like, who were all those people milling around on your stand? Were they small truck fleet operators? Were they enthusiastic, sceptical, believers Mm. or non-believers in your technology?
1: No, we had a mixture of all sorts of people on the stand. So we've had fleet owners to truck drivers to uh, uh, customers that our fleets um, are hauling freight for. Um, everyone was very interested in what we were doing and, and really even some of the OEMs were walking past. We were getting a lot of Kenworth dealers walking past, looking at what we were doing um, and, and trying to understand exactly what it is uh, that we, we've been doing um, and, and then also asking a lot of questions about the battery technology and how, how the system works and, and uh, those sorts of things. So it was, um, it was a really good and very informative structure. Um,
0: yeah, I'd like to know what sort of questions they asked you.
1: A lot of it was common questions: were, oh, how powerful is it? How far will it go?" Um, you know, it's the 720 horsepower or 540 kilowatts. Um, you know, how far will it go? It depends on what the vehicle's towing. Anywhere sort of from the 300 to 500 kilometers, depending on the on the on the vehicle's operating uh, conditions and terrain and and the, the load. Um, how do we you know how do we? Uh, how does it change gears with an automatic gearbox that we've put in there? Um, what do, the, do we think the durability of it will be? And the interesting thing with the durability question was we, you know, we're talking to Dana. I've got sort of forty-five thousand of these motors out in circulation here, done in excess of two point eight billion kilometers and haven't had a warrantable failure. Um, so um, there's a lot of you know the, the the one thing around electrics is you don't have Um, you don't have, there's nothing, there's not a lot that can go wrong.
0: Uh, One of my uh, LinkedIn contacts, Megan Cementsma from Logistics Solutions Outfit Best Train at Melbourne Institute of Technology, she heard me follow you up saying she heard you present at an event recently, an event about getting to net zero in the supply chain and logistics space. Look, she also made a comment about what you're doing saying it's a game changer. So I think I agree with her, like swapping batteries out is the way to go rather than having to set up infrastructure for fast charging of trucks in the future. And um, also, since it would take hours to recharge a truck, I mean, it's never really going to be feasible for long haul carriers in general in Australia, is it? Like maybe hydrogen, but, as you said you you've looked at that and you find this model that you've got of swapping batteries out uh, is the way to go at least at the moment.
1: yeah, definitely the way to go um the, the biggest there's, there's a number of factors that are going to be an issue for zero emissions, and one is the you know even the plug in battery electric vehicles are going to have issues because you're not going to be able to get a big enough power feed to have a hundred trucks at a depot. Um, plugged in or recharging at the same time. So um, that's why we, we look at it with the battery. The battery, It makes sense for the battery to sit there and wait and take the charge when the grid's got availability and when renewables are in production is the best time because typically when renewables are in production, trucks are operating during the day. If you look at duty cycles of trucks, in a, you know, there's more trucks operating on a day shift operation than there is on a night shift operation typically across fleets the other side of it as well too is, you know everyone talks about hydrogen but they haven't overcome the storage issues or the transportation and distribution of that energy to be able to to do that um, and that infrastructure is not cheap um, so there's a lot of challenges ahead um, on the hydrogen highway that I just don't think they've really thought through and and you know I I wish them well. I mean, there's no definite winner in this, but we do we do look at our solution and go that we think this is the most practical solution um, for um, for heavy vehicles um, in comparison to what what is out there now, um, and that's that's just where we where we see the future.
0: So, uh, Janus Electric is establishing a network of battery swap depots, correct and
1: correct
0: can you tell us about that like where 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 are they going to be these depots
1: oh well we've already got eight deployed so um we we're building networks with our customers at the moment where we've got back to base and point-to-point operations um and and that's where we've started but we're, we're essentially we will electrify the hume and the pursuit between brisbane and sydney and um sydney and and melbourne Um, We've currently got uh, charge stations in Brisbane, uh, one here on the Central Coast, one in Sydney, uh, two in Melbourne, one in Mount Gambier, one in in, uh, Port Augusta and one heading to Adelaide very shortly, just based on where we've got trucks operating at the moment. Um, So what we're looking at is, um, is, you know, you can't have a scattergun approach to this and and have this hope. You know, we've received no... Federal assistance or state assistance from any of the governments um, across Australia and what we 're achieving um, so we have had to fund this from um, from shareholders uh, in the business and and equity raises um, to be able to start to roll this network out because we're not getting any funding for assistance uh, with our with our fleets uh, with with our, or our fleets getting any assistance on this journey at the moment so um, that being said, we've got to put the infrastructure where we get good utilisation of it. And that's the and that's the real key of what we're what we're doing at the moment is we're we're partnering with our fleets to make sure that we put a network together that suits them and as we build the network we start to add more locations in. It starts to complete the ends of the network. So um you know, with our charge station going into Moorbank in Sydney, uh being hooked to their huge amount of renewable energy there, that sort of fixes the top end of the Hume for us. With the charge stations in Melbourne, we've got them at the, the bottom end. Now we're just finding a location in the middle and, and the Hume will probably be done first before we do the Pacific. Uh,
0: I'm, I'm not sure why you haven't received any funding. I mean, there does seem to be quite a, quite a bit around from state federal governments. Um, but um, for Australia to meet its emission targets, Like what sort of incentivisation for a business like yours to prosper, you know, need to be put into place? Like you're an innovator. That's what's needed to change things. Like what incentives are needed to encourage you and more people and businesses like you?
1: I think, um, you know, there used to be a business, uh, it used to be the Commonwealth Development Bank here in Australia that lent money to help businesses grow that we're in startup phases that typically couldn 't raise funding from investment or from traditional means of finance because it's you know it 's a hard swap when you're starting a brand new technology business from start um, that something along those lines where you can get a uh, a loan that funds this new technology that you can um, that uh, that meets the criteria um, to allow you to uh, get further investment to grow the network but in all honesty, I think the the reality of it is, is we've got to we've got to have governments that stop talking about things and that start actually doing things. They all talk about how they've allocated money for uh, projects, but it can take anywhere between two to three years to get a grant approved. It, it is just far too slow. Um, and you know our governments have got to start to back Aussie businesses if they want manufacturing and they want, uh, capacity built in the country to get to zero emissions quicker. You've got to back these Australian startups, and you know we, there's a lot of a lot of businesses like Janice that are in similar positions uh, where the, the government just hasn't stepped in and said, you know what, we want to foster this business. We're creating new jobs. We're create, like we're a regional employer. We're creating new skills. We're we're transitioning diesel mechanics to an EV um, scenario. Same with auto, auto electricians and high voltage. Electricians into a, into an automotive industry that we could be a world leader in, but there's just not the um, commitment from state and federal governments to go. You know what? How do we get behind these guys and how do we move remove some of the red tape around um, axle mass weights? Um, you know, steer axle mass uh, has been a big issue with with they're all zero emissions trucks. How do we how do we get a meaningful conversation around that so that the fleet operators not um, penalised for going to zero emissions with a higher tear weight prime mover because the, the worst thing that we could do is increase the freight task by having zero emissions vehicles that can shift less weight. We need to, we need to really look at that and, and get that resolved to give the fleet operators some confidence to move forward and go, you know what, we're going to, we're going to transition because we, we can still ship the same amount of payload with the vehicle on a zero emissions basis um, because the, the biggest problem, you know a lot of our fleets are under a lot of strain. They can't get drivers. They can't get mechanics. They can't. Um, they're finding it very hard to meet the, the the freight task that they've got because of this um, shortage of labour and shortage of skills in the industry. So by increasing the freight task, we're only going to exacerbate that for the industry. The other side of it, I think, too, is you know our environmental ministers, both state and federally, need to actually come and have a look at what some of these Australian businesses are doing and going. You know what? How do, we, how do we get behind these guys? How do, we, how do we support them? Is it funding? Is it investing in the charging infrastructure that has multi-user rather than just a plug-in model? Um, how do we start to set up micro grids where we start to take real good advantage of renewable energy that are on rooftops? And how do we, how do we use that energy rather than just putting it into the grid? And, and you know, we've got politicians there crowing about how the power price goes negative none of the retail outlets and none of the none of the um, everyday australians see the benefit of power going negative all all we're seeing is you know the the politicians saying how how cheap renewable power is that it can go negative the only reason it goes negative is because the the renewable producer gets paid an lgc which we all pay for on our power bill so you know that that is not sustainable that is that 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 no, nothing a market going negative is not a sustainable market that will will last for the long term. Um, so we've got to really start to think about energy differently and and come up with a more uh, holistic approach that will work and not just back a winner because a lot of them have backed the hydrogen horse and you know I, I just I just don't see it working. I do not see it um, resolving the issues that, uh, that that are there with hydrogen. You can't change the thermal dynamics and the thermal properties of the hydrogen atom and that is a big issue
0: well um some 30 percent of transport emissions you know come from trucks and there's Mm. not many electric trucks on the road in australia or anywhere for that matter at the moment so i you know something's got to got to work and maybe it's your model but um what sort of savings can one expect from an electric Truck in dollars and time, and and what other benefits are there? Like, for example, quieter vehicles, um, open up doors for extended delivery hours in built-up areas,
1: don't they? Exactly, Yeah, no, So there's some, there's some huge fatigue issues, fatigue benefits for the drivers. You know, less noise, less vibration, less heat. Um, you know, the drivers that have been driving these trucks when they hop out of them have been saying that that they they're so amazed, they feel so amazingly fresh after operating. Um, Yes, they are very quiet. So, you know, I I was driving this morning um, at 4.30. I I was out doing some testing in a truck for one of our customers and um, I'm driving through uh, the the, residential areas because the vehicle's quiet and I've got the regenerative braking on it the whole time. So I have less brake applications, but it's a bit like having the engine brake on without the noise um, and saving on maintenance. Um, typically, the fleets will see a saving somewhere between ten to thirty percent, um, depending on duty cycle and, and energy consumption. Um, one of the things we haven't factored in there is the uptime that they have by the vehicle not having to be serviced as regular because of the because of the electric motor. They're not having to do that uh, that B service, but we, we see there being a, you know a significant um, a, a significant uh, reduction in operating costs for the fleet operator that you know, helps return some margins back into, uh, uh, back into their businesses.
0: Um, finally, I just thought I'd sort of talk about Janus Electric and the circular economy. So looking at what you're doing from a circular economy perspective, where you extend the life of raw materials or somehow keep them in the productive economy rather than useless in landfill, like, Can you tell us more about the Janus electric system and business model where I think you retain ownership of the batteries and and how that's optimising material usage and assets and is an example for the circular economy?
1: Yeah, so what we see, our batteries have have, uh, essentially uh, two to three lives. The first life is in transport and we utilise them to obviously to power the vehicles and then the second life, once that battery gets down to around eighty-five percent state of charge, we then are able to take that battery out and then utilize it in a um, in in virtual power stations and in microgrid opportunities for uh, for um, grid sta- grid sta- sorry, grid stabilization for um, for um, for the electrical grid, and then also utilizing it as a virtual power network to supply energy. That's been captured during the day and put it back into the grid during the super peak, uh, during the during the evening piece where our grid is under strain. Um, the great thing about it as well too is it also creates a demand for the renewable energy that's in production during the day. So it helps in the transition from uh, it, the transition of our grid from you know a, a fossil fuel based grid to a renewable renewable based grid
0: wow yeah i can see all the potential for that that's very exciting um thank you lex for taking time out today to talk with me it's incredible and fascinating what you're doing and i wish you all the best
1: thank you very much for the time today too caroline and thanks very much for having us on
0: you've been listening to Fleet News Group podcast, it was edited and produced by Isabella Fiorentino. You can follow us on Spotify, just search for Fleet News Group. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Our website is fleetnewsgroup.com where you can get all of our stories, videos and podcasts. Until next time, drive safely and take care.